Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. Well, tonight... We are continuing to look at the story of the early church. Until early in the 16th century, if you were a Christian, uh, you were either a Catholic Christian or an Orthodox Christian. Till early 16th century, that's, if you were a Christian, you were one of those two kinds of Christians. You were a Catholic Christian or you were an Orthodox Christian. And then a German guy named Martin Luther came along and he changed all of that. And uh, the Protestant movement was born. He had a favorite word in Latin that he talked a lot about. Incurvitus, incurvitus. And incurvitus means to turn inwards, to curve inward. So we owe a lot to Martin Luther theologically, and and we're indebted to him, even though you've probably never heard this word before, incurvitus, for his thoughts there. Because what he's saying is we are naturally selfish people. Our nature is to be self-centered. Our nature is to be self-absorbed. In curvitis, looking in, curving inward all the time in our thoughts. What we're looking at in uh, Acts chapter 15 is a classical example of incurvitis this tendency to think it's all about me, it's all about us. The way we do things is the way it has to be done. The way we've always done it is the way it has to continue to be done. Uh, Great story here, and we're going to look at it together. So Acts chapter 13 is where we were at the last time we uh, looked uh, at the early church. And in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out into all the world. That's a fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, which is where we started in this series. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. You will receive, so four key words here, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this is what the book of Acts is. It's a story of the working, the acts of the Holy Spirit that sees the gospel going out everywhere. The church, my friends, is supposed to be a group of people who have the power of the Spirit and are witnessing for Jesus everywhere. That's what the church is, a group of people powered by the Spirit who are witnessing everywhere. So in the early parts of the book of Acts, we're in Jerusalem, and then we go to Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 13 we begin to explode into the everywhere. We begin to explode into the everywhere. 
And so uh, we look at a map right now which kind of shows the everywhere where uh, Paul and the gospel and Barnabas and the gospel went. Now if you're looking at that map, you look at that place called Seleucia Antioch on uh, the eastern shoreline of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Jerusalem would be kind of right at the bottom of that map. Uh, so just come down maybe another three or four inches, that's where Jerusalem is. Now the gospel Paul sent out from Antioch and he's gone to all of these places in Acts chapter 13, 14. That's where Paul has been with the gospel. It's a really exciting time. The gospel is going everywhere. The gospel is going everywhere. Great time. But sometimes when great things are happening, things are a little unsettling too. Uh, so I just need to point out two things that will bring some clarity to you when you're reading the New Testament and even when you're reading this story. We're not going to take time to read all of it tonight, but, but next slide. I want you to point out there's two Antiochs. It's enough to confuse anybody. Antioch, now in Acts chapter 13, 14, I was reading that earlier this week and I was saying, why, why, what's, what's that about? Pisidian Antioch, why are they saying that? And then there's this other Antioch in Acts chapter 14 and verse 26. Well, the Pisidian Antioch is called the Antioch that's in Pisidia because it needed to be separated or thought of differently than the Antioch uh, in Acts chapter 14 verse 26. Paul has been to both Antiochs in Acts chapter 13, 14. Actually, he started in the Acts, the Antioch, uh, just north of Jerusalem. He started there, went to the other Antioch. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 15 today uh, in the Antioch uh, that is north of Jerusalem. So that's where the story is taking place. But that's the gospel beginning to go uh, everywhere. Let's just pray and ask the Lord to help us uh, get what he wants to say to us uh, this evening. So Holy Spirit, we, uh, we calm our hearts. We ask you to help us to uh, point our minds towards you and your word. We ask, oh God, that you would speak to us now. We ask you to speak to us, in Jesus' name, amen, and amen. Well, if uh, you see anything in Acts chapter 15 and what happens here, uh, the best description for it is false Christianity, false Christianity. So Paul has been going all over these parts of Asia Minor. This is Gentile territory. Uh, Gentiles are getting saved. Gentiles are getting baptized. Gentiles are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And he, he makes this cycle of ministry, and then he comes back to where he started. Remember, he sent out from Antioch. Now he's back in Antioch. And... Uh, Rumors begin to spread and get back to Judah, Jerusalem, that uh, 
Gentiles are now becoming part of the church. And uh, the people in Jerusalem and Judah don't like what they're hearing there. So we read in verse number one of Acts 15 that some man came down. Now the way we would read a map, it actually came up. Some man went up from Judea and began teaching their brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You will never understand Christianity if you don't understand wherever there is true Christianity, there's also going to be false Christianity. That's how it works. You preach the truth, there's also going to be another group that doesn't want to hear the truth, doesn't want to accept the truth. And so there's this false Christianity rising up in this situation. And this group from Judea, sincere people, undoubtedly sincere, come and they've got to get everybody straightened out. They've got to understand that these people cannot be saved. Cannot be saved unless they get their private parts clipped. It's absolutely essential. Cannot be a Christian. You don't get circumcised. Impossible. They come with that message. Incurvitis. Incurvitis. You see, they had got so used to how they did things that they had no capacity to look outside of themselves and say, huh. Maybe God can do something different that I'm not used to. Absolutely sold on how things have abs always been, and now God's doing something different, and they're not willing to embrace it. It's all about them. It's all about what they want. It's all about how things have always been done. Happens all the time. Martin Luther comes with this great message that by grace you are saved. And people get it, but pretty soon the Anabaptist movement arises. And the Anabaptists, with again really good intentions, say... Oh, everybody around us is so unholy. Everybody around us is so dirty... We're going to go hide off all by ourselves and dress different and make sure we don't get soiled by the world. Just looking after themselves, not realizing that Christianity is about spirit empowered witnessing we're not going to be witnesses when we witness we get dirty and then a guy who was influenced by the Anabaptist movement decides that they're not holy enough either 1693 a guy named uh, Jacob uh, Aman uh, starts his own movement and we know these people as the Amish people now 
And they don't use electricity and they dress in dark clothes and they ride around in, in carriages and horses because they want to be far from the world. But their biggest problem, and there's some really interesting shows on TV about them too, that if you men do something that they don't agree with, you get shunned. Nobody's allowed to talk to them. We've got that kind of stuff going on here where the, the Jewish Christians from Judah are saying, Paul, what in the world are you doing? What in the world are you doing? Letting Gentiles into the church. Now, it wasn't that they didn't want Gentiles in the church. It's that they didn't want Gentiles in the church who weren't willing to become Jews first. They could come in, but they had to walk through the Jewish foyer first. They had to do all the Jewish things. And if they became good, solid Jews, then we'll let them into the church. But you can't possibly be saved. Impossible to be saved if you don't get circumcised. Want things done the way they were used to things being done. Sincere man believed it with all their hearts. What they were really saying, and let it come up on the screen, what they were really saying was as important as, uh, no, I think we've got to go back a couple, go back the other direction, sorry. They were really saying in order to become a Christian, you must first become a Jew. Unless you become a Jew, you are a second-class Christian, if a Christian at all. <laughs> They're saying, Christian, okay, but before you become a Christian, you've got to become a Jew. In Curvitus, looking in, this is how it happened for us. We were, we're Jews, and, and we love God, so if you're going to love God, you've got to be a... Jew too. The way it's been for us is the way it has to be for everybody. Self-absorbed people. Self-absorbed people. So in the history of the church, there are seven ecumenical councils. These are times when the church came together to sort through uh, challenges about what was true and what wasn't true because wherever you've got truth wherever you've got true Christianity you also end up with some false Christianity so there's lots of this sorting out of what's right and what's not right seven ecumenical councils probably the most famous one is the council of Nicaea 325 AD 
John MacArthur says, however, that this first council, called the Council of Jerusalem, uh, is as, um, as important as these councils were. The Jerusalem Council, described in this chapter, this chapter being Acts 15, was the first and most significant of all the councils. For it fixed the most momentous doctrinal question of all, what must a person do to be saved? That's the question here. And what are the people from Judea and Jerusalem saying? Well, if you're going to be saved, verse number 1, Acts chapter 15, if you're going to be saved, what do you have to do? What does your Bible say you have to do? Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. Well, you have to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. There's no other way to be saved. So there's some dissension going on in the camp now. All these exciting conversions to Christ among the Gentiles. And the Jewish people who thought they had a monopoly on what God was doing, they weren't excited because people who thought different and dressed different and looked different and ate really outrageous food were now coming to church. Got to get this fixed. Got to make them good Jews before we let them worship with us. Got to make them good Jews. Then we'll accept them. And so the church has a council called the Council of Jerusalem, first council of seven ecumenical councils in the history of the church. And they chat through the solution here. I think, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I think this is a reminder of what we, we learned or what we discovered in Acts chapter 13 about how Christians make decisions. How does the church make a decision when something like this uh, comes up? Well, the first thing you do when there's something like this comes up is the church uh, leadership gets together. And we see that happening in Acts chapter 15 and verse number 4. Uh, Acts chapter 15 verse 4, they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the, elder, uh, the apostles and the elders, uh, and they reported all that God had done with them. The leadership got together in Jerusalem. There was a decision to be made. The second thing we see happening when you need to figure out what to do is the church does a lot of listening. Verse 4, they gather together. Uh, verse 5, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believe stood up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So everybody gets heard. Everybody gets heard. But then finally what happens? Finally what happens? Uh, third thing that happens, they determine what the Holy Spirit is saying. Verse number 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon no greater burden than these essentials. They figured out what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. They figured out what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. This book we're in is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So they figured out what the Holy Spirit would have them to do. And uh, I like how what they have to do is translated in Acts 15 verse 28 and some versions here, the message version. It seemed to the Holy Spirit and to us 
that you should not be saddled with any crushing burden, but to be responsible only for these bare necessities. So they hear from the Holy Spirit, we're not going to give you any crushing burdens. We just want you to be responsible for these bare necessities. Uh, complete Jewish Bible. For it seemed good to the Ruha HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, and to us not to lay any heavier burden on you than the following requirements. They weren't going to put a heavy burden on them. They weren't going to put uh, this crushing burden on them. Contemporary English version, the Holy Spirit has shown us that we should not place any extra burden on you. So what's the Holy Spirit saying to the leadership about the Gentiles? Hey... We're not going to make this hard for you. And some Christians, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. We've got to have rules. Those people don't eat the right food. Some of those guys aren't circumcised. We can't let them hang out with us. And the leadership gets together, listens to the Holy Spirit, and says, we're not going to put any crushing burdens on you. You say, well, that doesn't sound right to me. I think we should make it hard on everybody so they'll be just like me. As if we've got our act together. I wonder if we read our Bibles. Jesus said, Matthew 11 and verse number 30, <laughs> My yoke is easy and my load is light. <laughs> Jesus hasn't come to give you a bunch of heavy burdens that will wear you out and tear you down. Jesus, our wonderful Jesus, has come to make our yoke easy and our load light. And so understanding the heart and the spirit of Jesus, they listen to the argument, they listen to the dissension, they listen to the discussion, and they say, we're not going to load you down with any heavy burden. Not going to do it. That's not going to be part of living for Christ. We're not going to put on you any extra unnecessary heavy burden. Our staff and church culture statement says this. As a church, we will seek to demonstrate honor by creating easy paths for others to enter into the use of their gifts and expressions of their ministry. The church should be this welcoming place that's not making it hard for people to come into and feel welcome. Well, you come every single weekend for three years and then we'll, we'll maybe let you usher. Once you prove yourself, once you prove that you really understand us. Now, of course, if, you, if you'd come from a Pentecostal church, we'd only make you wait six months. And we make all kinds of stipulations that aren't making it easy for people. We're piling on them extra burdens that him who has come with an easy yoke and a light burden doesn't mean for anybody to be inflicted with. 
gather. Jews saying, ah, we, we, they, they, can't, they can't worship with us unless they're going to become like us first. Shouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. I want us to pause for a moment. And I just want us to reflect about our, our own attitude towards people and people who maybe aren't like us. Uh, next slide, please, Alexis. Today's text describes how the early church leadership responded to people from different backgrounds and cultures, responded to letting them into fellowship. They chose not to make it any bigger a burden than was necessary. Just want you to pause where you are. I want us to take a couple of minutes and really think about this seriously before God. How open is your heart to people who are different than you? Do you easily accept people who think and see things differently than you? No, I don't want to hang out with them. You hear stupid things they believe. Are you making it easy for new believers and attenders to be accepted and get involved in the groups and the ministries you are a part of? Or when the new person comes in, do you kind of little standoffish? If they come back three weeks, we'll know they're serious. Then we'll start loving them. Just to stop and examine your heart here. May the Holy Spirit continue to speak to you about some of these things. Can't unwrap this whole chapter in one sermon. We'll look at it more deeply next week. But I do want to leave some more thoughts with you before the worship band leads us. The first thing I want us to recognize is that the Mosaic Covenant is a treaty God made with the Jews, the nation of Israel. It includes civil and health laws, ritual laws, and moral laws. The Mosaic Covenant is a covenant God made with the nation of Israel. It is much more, friends, than just spiritual instruction about how to be in relationship with Almighty God. 
the Mosaic Covenant is the constitution, the laws, the regulations for a nation to be able to operate successfully and in a healthy way. Get leprosy? What's the regulations? What's the regulations if you get leprosy? I mean, the laws are there. You, you get quarantined. You go into isolation for a long time until you're better. And we complain because our nasty government makes us quarantine. God understood that that's a way of, of making sure things don't keep spreading. It's full of laws and regulations about how a nation has to live in order to survive, in order to get things done. So the Mosaic Covenant is a treaty God made with the Jews. Number two, Gentiles are not under Mosaic law. Gentiles are not under Mosaic law. That whole area of Asia Minor that we looked at and started at the first month, they weren't living under the laws of Mosaic law because they weren't part of the nation of Israel. They were a separate nation with separate rules and regulations for doing things. Gentiles were not under Mosaic law. We should be able to understand that different areas have different laws. The minimum wage in Nunavut per hour is $16 per hour. The minimum wage in Saskatchewan per hour is $11.45. Now, you can go apply for a job and get it, and they say we pay minimum wage. And you can stamp your feet all you want and say, well, the law is $16 an hour. Well, if you're in Nunavut, it's $16 an hour. But this is Saskatchewan. And in Saskatchewan, we're not under the laws of Nunavut. We're under the laws of Saskatchewan. In Alberta, uh, you get uh, DUI if you're uh, driving with a blood alcohol level of over 0 0.08. And if you get caught, uh, you lose your license for three months. In Saskatchewan, you get pulled over at 0 0.04 and they take your license away but they only take it away for one day, four days, three days. Take it away for three days. Different laws. We're not under the laws of Alberta. We're under the laws of Saskatchewan. Now I'm gonna open scripture here for you because we need to understand this, friends. We need to understand this, friends. Galatians 3.23, before faith came, before Jesus came, before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law. 
being shot up to the faith which was later to be revealed. So where were we before Jesus came? We were under the law. Let's look at another verse. Galatians, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Another verse, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Friends, get this clearly in your hearts. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, if that's where your citizenship is, if you are in Christ, your citizenship is in the kingdom of God, you are not under the law. You're not under the law. We need an understanding of that. We need a revelation of that in our hearts and in our souls. Romans chapter 7, verse 6. Now you have been released from the law, having died to that by which we are bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Friends, I want us to understand as a church, I want to understand us as believers, that we are not living under the oldness of the letter, but we are in the newness of the Spirit. You don't have to go through some Jewish foyer to be accepted in the kingdom of God. You don't need to go get circumcised in order to enter into the salvation Jesus has for you. We are not under the oldness of the letter. We are under the newness of the Spirit. You see, Jesus changed everything. Jesus took the price for us. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. So if Jesus paid it all, and we're not under the law, friends, don't make it hard for other people to serve him. Don't make it hard for other people to serve him. We are part of a new kingdom. Old things are passed away. We are part of a new kingdom, which is a kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace. It's not the old letter anymore, friends. It is not the old letter anymore, friends. And so the false Christianity wanders in. Get everybody straightened out in Antioch and to tell them that you can't be a Christian unless you get circumcised first and follow all the laws of Moses. And they meet and they chat and they pray and they discern what God's doing, and I'm going to unwrap that more next week. But it became very clear to them that they weren't going to make the Gentiles carry a greater burden than was necessary. So here's my challenge as the worship band prepares. First of all, it's a personal challenge for you. Some of you make serving Jesus a lot harder than it needs to be for yourself. 
Some of you make serving Jesus a lot harder than it needs to be for yourself. Because you're self-absorbed. You've got a, a really bad case of incurvitis. You think the only way I can possibly be right in God's eyes is if I, if I just do everything right. If I get everything absolutely perfect, then God will bless me. Get your eyes off of yourself, friends. Please, please hear me. Get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes on Jesus who has paid the entire price for you already. Please, for the sake of your joy, for the sake of your peace, for the sake of your walk with Christ. And my second challenge is please, 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 don't make it hard on others either. You ever, if you, if you get your act together, then I'll sit with you. But until now, you're sitting by yourself, and I'm not pointing at any of you who are sitting by yourself today. Be easy on others. Be big-hearted on others, towards others. Help them see Jesus. And help them to recognize, friends, that we are saved by grace. Saved by grace, not plus this. Saved by grace, not plus that. Saved by grace, if you do that. We are saved by grace. And anything else, my friends, is false Christianity. Anything else is false Christianity. Let's stand and respond to what the Holy Spirit would want to do in our hearts tonight. We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you. Go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.